I want you to imagine for a moment that you are back in elementary school. And it is career day. You have your friends, your classmates, maybe even your parents there, and you've got a fireman, you've got a policeman, you have somebody who owns a business, you have somebody who works in the government, and everybody has all these questions about those jobs. Well, if you had that same experience when you were in high school, it probably was pretty different. Because by then, you actually had an idea of maybe what you wanted to do. And so the questions might change from what's it like to be a fireman to, hey, how could I become a fireman? And and the question I, I want us to begin thinking about today is a similar question to that. How did you get where you are today? I asked myself this recently. I just was like, man, how did I get here? Because because this is not certainly where I thought I was going to be. I think it's a common feeling for a lot of us. And as you look back over the path from where you were back then in that elementary school classroom till now, and you think about the path that got you here today, I think that path for you and that path for me looks a little bit like this. It, it is certainly not a straight, clear, predictable path. Well, I was running through this part of the message with the team this week, and Jake, who was just leading us this morning, he made a great observation. He said, the way of Jesus is narrow, but it's rarely straight. We talk about, we talk about the straight and narrow, that's a phrase that we use, but that isn't the way Jesus works. He seems to prefer detours, you know, the scenic route, you know, the most adventurous path. And, and as I was thinking about just my own life, I was like, man, the, the road that Jesus has taken me to hopefully, and I hope I'm following him, to go the direction he wants me to go has just been unpredictable. And as I think about this, this year that we're standing in the middle of and, and this place where God has us, and even what's happening with our church that we're going to talk about today, whether it's you or me or us together, we all got here where we are because of a series of steps. It wasn't one giant Neil Armstrong leap that got you from there to here. It was a bunch of decisions. It was a bunch of steps. And a lot of them you were making going, I have no idea what I'm doing. That's the biggest thing when I was a kid in that career day years ago that I had no idea was all of these grownups that I saw who had all these amazing jobs. I figured they had life figured out, that they had all the answers. And now that I'm a grown-up, I know the real truth. We're making it up as we go. (laughs) And yet what we see in the Bible is this pattern and theme of taking the next step that God reveals to you and just trusting him. I want to give you a few examples this morning. In Psalm 37, the psalmist writes, A person's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he will not be overwhelmed because the Lord supports him with his hand. Maybe one of the most famous verses about taking your next step comes from Proverbs 3, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your paths straight. Then my favorite passage of all passages when it comes to trusting and following Jesus with a next step is Psalm 30. Sorry, Isaiah 30, chapter 30 verse 21, where the prophet says, whenever you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear this command behind you. 
This is the way. It's a little bit of Star Wars in the Bible. This is the way. Walk in it. And then when we get to Jesus, Jesus doesn't seem to think that anybody that he's around needs a ton of direction. So Jesus will often meet somebody and not say, hey, here's your whole life laid out for you. Here are the next seven things to do. He'll just say, hey, here's your next thing. For example, in Mark chapter 5, it says that Jesus was getting into a boat, and there was a man there who'd been demon-possessed who begged Jesus earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him remain with him, but told him, go home to your people and report how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. He didn't give him his whole life plan. He just said, hey, this is your next step. And so I just want to encourage you from these four examples that if you are waiting for God to give you a GPS map for the future, it's not going to happen. There's a lot of us who, who love GPS, who like using it. And some of you, your favorite part of GPS is when you tap this little part right here and it shows you the next 17 turns, right, left, times, like you love that. But here's the thing, God, at least as I can see in scripture and certainly in my own life, he doesn't give that. I love how Ann Voskamp talks about this. She says this, she says, we want clarity and God wants closeness. We want God to give us a real map. And he says, no, I want you to have a relationship with me. We're like, what's the plan, Lord? And he said, there was no plan. There's a person. You have to come closer to me. And so often what I find in my life as I'm trying to follow where God's leading me is that I want him to give me the plan and he wants to give me himself. I want God to give me something that I can hold on and control. And God says, no, I want you to move deeper and deeper into trust, which is our big idea this morning. If you've got a copy of the handout, God transforms us as we trust him and take our next steps. This is how God works in our lives. In Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, and Mark, we saw it again and again. God invites us to trust him to take our next step. And in the process of doing that again and again and again, we end up somewhere that we had no idea that we would end up in. And along the way, we transform as a person. And this is at the heart of who we are as a church. At Cornerstone, our mission, the reason that we exist, is to help people take their next step with Jesus. And today we're calling this message the state of the church because we want to talk about how that's going, what that looks like, what's happened in the past, and then what's next in the future. And as I think about that statement, it's on your handout right there, our mission is to help people take their next step with Jesus. Whenever I see those words, they to me are good news. Let me tell you why I think they're good news. There's three reasons. The first one is this, everyone has a next step. All of you who are here in this room, all of you who are watching me from somewhere else, all of you have a next step. It doesn't matter if you're still trying to figure out what you think about Jesus and the church, or if you have been here Sunday after Sunday for years, we all have a next step with Jesus. That's why almost every message ends with a question, so what's your next step? Because the assumption is there that we all have one. What that means is, number two, that we never arrive. Like, if we all have a next step, and some of you have been following Jesus for a long time, what that means is that you never 
arrive. There's no arrival. There's no kind of, I've made it in the Christian life. It's one of the reasons why I, I hesitate to ever use the phrase mature Christian. Because if you are a mature Christian, you should call a lawyer, get your will in order, get a good power of attorney, because it's time for you to go home. Everybody else is just maturing. And so if we all have a next step, that means we're not yet where God wants us. And the third reason why this is good news is that we can't take these steps alone. So we all have a next step. We never arrive, and and we can't take these steps by ourselves. Inherent in that mission statement is a couple of, I think, not hidden meanings, but kind of latent meanings. One of them is that we need Jesus to take these steps. I mean, the statement says, help people take their next step with Jesus. You can't become like Jesus without Jesus. Like, it's not a solo project that you are on to make yourself like Jesus. No, if you're going to become like Jesus, you're going to need Jesus to help you take those steps. Also, kind of within that mission statement is this idea that we need help from others. The statement begins with, we help people. Now, some of you, you like being the we who help other people. Others of you have spent a long time being the people who got helped by others. But here's the thing. I'll go after the the we first. Some of you are really good at helping others, but you refuse to let others help you. And that will get in the way of you becoming like Jesus. Because if you can only give and you cannot receive, then you're going to be limited in what God can do in you and through you. And some of you, you've been on the receiving end of a lot of help with your next steps. But eventually what God's going to want to do is shift you into a place where you begin to help other people in the very way you've been helped. The people that struggle today with what you used to struggle with yesterday, you are best equipped to help because you know how to get from where they are to where you are now. And so we need people in our lives if we are going to be transformed and trust Jesus and take our next steps. This is not a solo endeavor. It's a team thing. And so today what we want to do is we want to explore four questions with you. Four questions to determine what are our next steps. And those four questions are on your handout. These are not a surprise. The first one is, how has God been at work at Cornerstone? The second question is, how has God been at work in your life? The third question is, what's Cornerstone's next step in this next year? And then the fourth question is, what's yours? Okay, that's where we're going today. So the first one, how has God been at work at Cornerstone? I mentioned during ministry highlights that today when you leave, each family will be given a chance to get this, our annual report. Uh, It's 19 pages of pictures, stats, and stories. I will just give you a heads up. Despite our best efforts, despite my best efforts, right here, if you open it up in the middle, is a typo. Your pastor's not perfect. Our team is not perfect. If you find typos, you can email them to us, but please do not spend time in the lobby telling me what they all are. I've already had to have a therapy session this before Sunday because there was typos. 
But there's some amazing things in this annual report that I want to share with you. The first one is this. In 2022, you gave $1,408,600 to our mission. That is an all-time record in the 34-year history of our church. Really amazing. Because of that, we were able to spend locally, regionally, and globally over $175,000, supporting 23 mission partners locally, regionally, and globally, as well as special projects like sending relief to the Ukraine and paying for teachers in Papua New Guinea. Um, We just did some amazing, amazing work together through our missions giving. We also saw our largest four Prescott months in history. We saw 19 projects and 160 people served 600 hours. And in the time since October, we've continued to see the fruit of those relationships. I, I shared a couple weeks ago that, that we want to make sure that we're building relationships that gain us credibility. And over time, what we see when we build relationships is God bears fruit from that. And we're seeing that in the four months since Fort Prescott Month, which is just incredibly exciting. We also have seen increased attendance and participation by young families on Sundays, which was one of our next steps last year, if you remember that. So we're excited about that. We also have seen some really intentional equipping of our students on Wednesday nights. Our students gather at our roster campus on Wednesday night. And if you haven't seen any stats recently about the challenges facing students, you should. Because I'm not sure it's ever been more difficult to be a teenager than it is right now. And so our student ministry has been equipping students in some really intentional ways that match needs that they have. We've also seen over 20% growth in the last year in our small groups and on our serving teams, which is great because these are the two ways that if you're not connected at Cornerstone, we would tell you, hey, you need to get connected. If you're like, hey, I come, I don't know anybody, the last series showed me how isolated I am, well, you either need to get involved in a group or you need to get involved serving. Because those, those are the two means, the two vehicles that, that we want to try to help change that. We also saw this year thousands of lives touched through our Benevolence Fund. Your report will show you that we helped 42 families who came to us with a need. If you remember last year, we also, through some additional giving that had come in during the COVID years, we were able to partner with RIP Medical Debt, which helps release medical debt and forgive medical debt. And we took $21,000 of our money. And because of the debt that they have access to on the secondary debt market, we were able to forgive almost $5 million in debt for 5,400 families living in Arizona. We were able to help uh, invest in CCJ and Agape House of Prescott's efforts to build affordable housing for people coming out of homelessness. We touched thousands of people's lives in a tangible way. And then in the annual report, you're going to see stories of life change. See, I, I've given a lot of numbers here, but the reason why numbers count is that people count. And every one of those numbers has a name, and every one of those names has a story. Every one of those stories, it matters to God. And so in your, in your annual report, you're going to see a story of a family who was disconnected and got it connected through one of our groups. You're going to see a story of a woman who was considering taking her own life and even attempted to take her own life, but God preserved her life. And through being a part of one of our groups, she gained the courage and the vulnerability and the freedom to talk about that. You're going to hear about somebody who watches from home, that God's working in their life where they are. See, all of this is happening because of God moving in our midst. 
And I hope when you read through that report, you're excited and encouraged. But I also want to say this. God was faithful, but he worked through you. I think sometimes we get so worried, and I think it's a good, good concern that we would take some of the glory from God that we forget that God has to have a vessel. God's plan A is to work through people. And there is no plan B. He works through us. And so all of those stats and all of those stories that are signs of God's at, God at work, each of those was somebody was an instrument for that. So that's the first question. How has God been working at Cornerstone? In crazy, amazing ways. And I hope you get a copy of that report and read it this week. But secondly, I'm going to talk about something closer to home with you. How's God been at work in and through you? Just for a moment, I want you to just pause, put down whatever you have in your hands, and just think through last year. Think through 2022. Run your mind through the calendar. How was God at work in your life last year? What'd you see? What'd you experience? Where did you see God moving? And what I'm going to do right now is what I do often in my small group that meets in my home. I'm going to introduce an awkward pause. Because what I want you to do right now is I want you to stop. And if you've got a copy of our handout this morning, there's a little section right there that says, how has God been at work in and through you? And I want you to actually write something down. I'll be kind and not punish you the way I do my small group with awkward silences. But I hope you have at least one thing you've written down. One of the beautiful things about living where we are is the beauty around us. So I know there's some weather coming this week. At least that's what the weather people say. We'll see. But I'd encourage you, maybe today, maybe it's this week, to just get outside. Even if you have to bundle up and go for a walk. And just think about that question. How did I see God work in and through me last year? And I think what you're going to find is more than one thing. I think you may find more than you can expect. When I first got started in uh, ministry, uh, I was working with college students. And one of the most common questions college students ask is, what is God's will for my life and how do I figure it out? Because your whole life is in front of you at that point. And I can remember saying to college students that I was working with, hey, I don't know what God's will is for your career or for your major or who you should marry, but I do know the Bible is really explicit at one point with what God's will is. In 1 Thessalonians 5, this is what Paul writes. He says, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, it's right there in black and white. Three things that's God's will for your life. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Every day. You might be saying, Scott, there is nothing for me to rejoice about in my life today. 
Well, maybe there's nothing today that you can rejoice in, but I promise you, if you have a little bit of a like holy memory session, you'll find things in the past that you can rejoice in. And, and I've found that the more you actually pause and rejoice and give thanks, the more your eyes begin to see those things, even in the hardest seasons. And every day should be a day that you pray. And so part of what we've done, I think this is our sixth or seventh year, we've done one of these messages just to say, hey, we have things to rejoice and give thanks about as a church. We have things to pray about, and we believe this is God's will for us to celebrate and then to prepare for what's next. And so I'd encourage you, that might be one of your next steps this week. So what are Cornerstone's next steps? You might be wondering, hey, what's coming next for Cornerstone? So last year, at this time, I got up on this stage and I told you that we had a next step. I said that our number one priority as a leadership team, as an elder board that kind of guides and is responsible for strategic direction for our church, was to pursue a future facility. That was in February of 2022. So when that meeting was done, we sat down with uh, two people, an architect and a real estate agent who specialized in commercial and real estate transactions. We had from the, from the architect a rough sense of at least a minimum of how many square footage we would need to pursue a future facility and how much parking we would need. And so then we went to that real estate agent and said, hey, let's start with the existing properties that are available in Prescott to see if there's anything that matches that number. And so over the spring, we did that. We looked at a number of opportunities and nothing met those thresholds for space and for parking. So we came back together as a board in the late spring and said, okay, God, what are you doing? What do you want us to do next? And in that time, we got word that there was a church in our area that had decided to purchase new property to pursue a new campus for their church, which meant at some point they were going to leave their current campus. And we had a friendship with some of the leadership of that church, and so we reached out to them, and we began a dialogue that went throughout the spring and into the summer. That church is Willow Hills Baptist Church. They're located near the corner of Willow Lake Road and Willow Creek Road here in Prescott, near the CVS and the Dairy Queen and the Dutch Bros and the McDonald's and lots of things there. I've gone to that area a few times, I just so you know. So we kept that conversation going all throughout the year. In the fall, that process got stopped because if you follow city politics, you know there's been a huge conversation about an airport overlay expansion that impacts all the growth and development happening on the north end of town, which is the area that Willow Hills is trying to buy a new property to build a new campus for. So things kind of set on, on pause for most of the fall, kind of into the winter. In January, we sat down and met with some of their leadership we asked questions, and they asked questions. They sent us back some more questions, and we felt like our next step was to try to address those. So two weeks ago yesterday, on January 30th, we submitted a letter of intent to Willow Hills Baptist Church. You say, Scott, what's a letter of intent? It's a two-page, non-binding letter that just says, hey, we are interested in entering into a conversation with you about buying your property one. So we sent that two weeks ago, and they have another two weeks to respond to that. So what that means is that we have a sense that our next step might be to buy their property when they move, and after over 10 years of being portable, no longer be portable, 
and make that place our new home. I think that's really good news. So I want to be really clear with what I'm communicating, and I'm going to go back to that intro that I did with the kids' classroom. I need all eyes on me. And if you can hear my voice, I want you to clap one time. Okay. I need to be really clear with what I'm not saying. Some of you are thinking right now, so Scott, what you're saying is we're buying their building. The answer is no. Is not what I'm saying. So if you're texting your friends right now who go to Willow Hills and you're saying, hey, we're buying your building, you're, you're in error. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. We are in a process with Willow Hills about the potential, that's why that word's bolded, potential of buying their current property. We don't know. This is really early. They haven't even signed the letter of intent. We haven't negotiated a price. We've done some due diligence, but things are really early. You say, Scott, why are you telling this? Because I told you last year, this was our number one priority, and I meant it. Now, I couldn't talk about what we were doing, but I needed you to know today that, hey, when we say we're doing something, we're doing something. And I want you to pray for two things. The first thing I want to ask you to pray for is this. I want you to pray for Willow Hills and for their roadblocks to be removed for their new property. They've had some good progress over the last month to be able to move towards purchasing this new property and making things work with the airport. But we want to pray for all their roadblocks to be removed because if they can't relocate, we can't relocate. And I don't know if you ever pray for other churches, but you should because we're all on the same team at the end. And so we want to pray for them and what God's doing there. Secondly, I want you to pray for us that we would have discernment and wisdom as we go through this process, this is what we sense is the next right thing because moving into an existing property is way faster and a whole lot cheaper than buying dirt and building. And it may be a great experience for you to come here on Sundays and be in this place. And we love Yavapai College and the people we work with, but we've been portable for over 10 years. And for our team that comes early and sets up and stays late and tears down and pulls trailers before the sun is up, we'd like to be done with being portable. And so we'd ask you to pray for us that God would lead us. That's all we have to share today. So if you're like, Scott, I've got a question. You're welcome to ask me questions in the lobby. I'll be out there with our elders. But that's about all I can share with you. That's all we have. But you have our word that will keep you updated. Okay? So... That's not the biggest update to give, so I put it first. The second update I want to give you is related to our elder board. So we are governed by a set of elders who give, us, uh, who give accountability to me as the lead pastor, help us set direction, work on projects like this. Late, la- late in 2021 into early 2022, we saw our elder board radically change. We had an elder pass away suddenly. We had an elder leave our staff, uh, pursue opportunities somewhere else. And we also saw an elder leave the board because of changes in his job. So the elder board is required to have four people, and we currently have four elders. But we all made sure that we got personal trainers, nutritionists. You know, none of us were allowed to have anything happen to us. But we had a sense that we wanted to grow this year and add an elder. And so today we're announcing a new elder nominee, and that's a guy named Jim McKee. Yeah, some of you guys are fans of Jim. You can give Jim a round of applause. Jim and Chris are not here today. They're traveling, but um, we've been meeting with Jim for two months. 
We've done a, a, a number of uh, reference calls and due diligence on him. We feel like he's the next person to join our board. And when you leave today, you'll get a copy in the lobby if you want to at the connection table of our new budget and our elders and other nominees. And you can see a bio of Jim. Uh, he's traveling this weekend, but he'll be here next Sunday and I'll do an interview with him as part of the service. So he's a great guy and we're really excited for him to join our board if our membership approves that later this month. I have an update to share with you too. And I would tell my staff this, whenever I say this, I'm not going anywhere. Because <laughs> that's, that's always the feeling. But I just want to give you some context. This summer, I will celebrate seven years as being the lead pastor at Cornerstone. Thank you. Part of my question, how did I get here, was thinking about this. It was like seven years. There's so much that has happened and so much great stuff. But seven years ago, when I was thinking about and praying about this move, I got to know the leadership of Cornerstone, and I was so impressed by the value of health that I saw in this church. I sensed that our leadership was healthy, our, our staff was healthy, the church wanted to be a place that people could get healthy and heal. We, we ended up formulating this into our value that we now call pursuing health together. We've got eight core values, and this is one of them. And one of the reasons that I could see the church valued health is that I got, um, when we got down to the place that we were negotiating a hiring contract, in the hiring contract, there was a clause about health of the role and the pastor. And so in that document, it stated that after six years, the lead pastor qualifies for a three-month sabbatical, which to me was a sign that the church actually cared about the health of the pastor. Now, you might say, Scott, what is a sabbatical? Well, a sabbatical is a time for rest, rejuvenation, and extended study, often after six years of service. Today, you'll see sabbaticals offered in the church, in education settings, and, and a lot of businesses are introducing this for their employees, too. Sabbatical is rooted in Scripture a couple different places. Genesis 2 God's creating the world, and it says that he rested on the seventh day and made it holy. He created for six days and rested on the seventh. And then in the Ten Commandments, probably the most overlooked commandment, to be honest, is Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so, like I said, churches, you know, colleges, businesses are recognizing the value after six years of a season of rest and renewal. And so I'm going to be taking my first ever sabbatical in 17 years of pastoral ministry later this year. Yeah. Trust me, I'm clapping. Um, let me tell you a little bit about what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be pursuing retreat and uh, some additional therapy. You know, I'm a big believer in therapy, and so I'm getting some extra stuff there. I'm going to enjoy some rest from preaching and the burden of leadership. Uh, the last three years have been a gauntlet for anybody who's involved in pastoral ministry, and so I'm looking forward to some rest without solving problems, making decisions, or writing sermons. And then I'm going to enjoy some extended time of prayer and study to, to just listen to God and for him to be led by me. We've got some dates attached to this that I want to share with you. My sabbatical will start the day after my final Sunday, which is May 7th, and then my first Sunday back will be August the 6th. So it's about three months away. So this might felt like a good time to share with you as part of this. We're already working with our staff and our elders. They've been in the loop on this for quite a while. Um, I was actually due, due, I was due to take my sabbatical last summer, but due to some changes on our staff, it felt more prudent to wait, and so I delayed it by one year. 
So you say, Scott, what's going to happen on Sundays while you're gone? Well, you guys are going to really enjoy some great preaching from some familiar faces. You're going to hear from people like Chris Inman and Tim Jacobs and Trey Van Camp, who've already committed to Sundays during my sabbatical. You're going to hear from people like Jeff Noonan that you haven't heard from in a while, along with a bunch of people that are my friends that I love listening to on a regular basis that you haven't heard yet. And so I'm really excited for the list that's being shaped. During the sabbatical, you guys are going to work your way through the book of 1 John. We typically do a long book study in the summer, and we're going to do that. You guys are going to get copies of those scripture notebooks we gave out during First Peter. We bought hundreds. You took them all the first week. We bought more. You took all of them. So now we have a good number to order this time, and we'll be ordering plenty there. And then right after I get back in August, we're going to bring back our summer version of At The Movies. And so I'm working on, yeah, you can clap for that too. This is Clap Sunday, so please don't feel bashful at all. Um, We're already working on writing and preparing and recording those before I leave. And then one final update I want to give you as it relates to the next generation at Cornerstone. We have another core value in addition to that pursuing health together that I mentioned, that we believe in empowering the next generation now. When I was a student and a college student, I remember being called the next generation and it felt like I was waiting and biding my time. And we believe that unless we can help students and young adults understand that they have a place now in the church, they won't ever engage because they'll enter into the hardest phase in young adulthood and they'll just slide out the back door quietly. So we've been investing intentionally in our kids' ministry and in our student ministry. Our student ministry is called Refuge. They meet on Wednesday nights. And this summer, we're introducing something that we haven't done in quite a while. We're taking students to camp. And so we're going to go to camp in the month of June. The early registration closed. General registration is getting close to closing. And so if you have a student that you'd like to be a part of camp, we'd encourage you to go online to prescottcornerstone.com students and get all the info so that you can sign them up before registration closes. They meet on Wednesday nights, and so if you don't have them plugged in to that yet, we would encourage you strongly to do that because some great stuff is happening there. We also want to speak about kids. So um, our kids' ministry radically changed when things happened in 2020 and we had to go online. And since we came back in late 2020, we've only had kids programming at one service, this service, our 9 o'clock service. And I know of no church that is truly multi-generational that only has kids programming at one or some of their services. Every church that I know that is covered with kids has kids stuff available at all services. And so what we've seen is we've seen a limit for how much we can reach families only having kids programming at one service. At least once a month, sometimes every week, we have families who come at 1030 with their kids and are disappointed because we don't have kids programming. We've made it really clear on our website as best we can, but they somehow miss that and it's a less than ideal experience. And so we're announcing today our intent to launch programming for kids which is six months to fifth grade at our 1030 service starting on Easter, which is April 9th, which is two months from now. So you say, Scott, is there a catch? There is. We need your help to do that. We need at least 20 new monthly volunteers to make this happen. Now you might say, Scott, um, I've put my time in with kids ministry. Let me say this as delicately as I can. If you have grandkids, I hope the church therein does not have that attitude. 
we're gracious and we're grateful that God has grown our church post-COVID, but part of what's happened is we are less multi-generational than we were three years ago. And if we don't reach young families and have a great experience for their kids, we will continue to grow, but only grow in certain demographics. And so we need your help. The reason we haven't brought kids programming back is because we haven't had enough volunteers. But we're at a point now where I told our team, I'm going to use my bully pulpit to try to push the message today. And uh, we're going to ask you to help. We're not asking you to serve every Sunday. We're not even asking you to serve in both hours. We're just saying once a month, come to this nine o'clock service and then stay and serve in kids ministry. So instead of brunch with your friends once a month, you're going to serve here with kids. And I think it make a huge difference. So if you want to sign up to serve, you can do two things. You can go to the connection table in the lobby, or you can go to prescottcornerstone.com slash children and help us. I will say this. I've said this to our team. I'm just going to say it right now. If we don't get there, I'll probably start serving a Sunday a month. That's how committed we are to this. We have to do this. If we say we value and power the next generation now, we have to do this. And so we're asking for your help. And then finally, question number four, what are your next steps? What's God been stirring in your heart today or in the first 42 or 43 days of this year? When you think about where you are, how you got from where you were to where you are, or where you want God to take you, what's your next step? He's not going to give you a map. He's not going to give you step-by-step directions. But Psalm 119 says, Lord, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, which means God is always in the business of showing us our next steps. And all of us have a next step today. And so I would encourage you where that question is in your hand, write down, this is my next step. Maybe it's to serve in kids. Maybe it's to join a group. Maybe it's to share your faith with a coworker. Maybe it's to have a conversation with a a child or a spouse. I don't know what your next step is, but here's what I know is going to happen right now once you write it down. You're going to be subject to the law of diminishing intent. The law of diminishing intent says the longer we delay doing something, the less likely it is that we'll do it. As you go throughout your day today, you're going to leave here, maybe go have brunch with friends or go brave the lines at Costco, go for a walk. The longer you wait taking your next step, the more your intent to take that step is going to diminish. And by the time you go to bed tonight, you may wonder, what did I even hear about at church today? And so I would just encourage you, if you know what your next step is, narrow the gap so that you can take it. Because what we see again and again is God transforms us as we trust him as we take our next steps. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the way that you're at work in our church, the way that you're at work in our lives. We thank you for the exciting things that are coming in the future for us. And we also thank you for your promise to guide us and lead us and show us the way. We pray that you would show us what our next step is, And then you would give us the courage, the boldness, the faith to take it. You've been so good to us. As we look back on how we got from there to here, 
we see example after example of you being good to us, better to us than we deserve. So we pray that our hearts would be filled with thanksgiving and rejoicing over all those things that we see, all those ways and places you've been at work. But we also pray, Jesus, that you would give us what we need for what lies ahead, because for some of us, our greatest challenges are in front of us. The most intimidating obstacles are in front of us. The scariest conversations are in front of us. And we pray that you would be just as good in the future as you've been in the past. We're leaning on you and we're depending on you, Jesus. We need you. In your name we pray, amen.